the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And Lazarus. He dead. He, he, he was raised from the dead. And then though. he not dead. <laughs> He's, he is alive again, only to then be pursued, and they kind of like try to kill him again, which I always found really, really awkward so, and weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so it's, it's, this is why it's important and also frustrating that we don't. But it's important to like maybe take take your take your Bible to church. We should have to take your Bible to church Sunday because as Lutherans we don't do that. Although this weekend, did you notice at you probably didn't because you had a different perspective, um, visual perspective. Right. Um, we had we had someone that was worshiping with us, a family member of a member, and they brought their Bible. I'm not gonna lie, it freaked me the hell out having someone read a Bible and open scripture as I'm preaching and they're continuing to just look back at scripture. I'm like, oh my God. What, what, what if I got something wrong? Yeah, I'm like, oh my God, they're looking at, they're, they're looking at the Bible during <laughs> church service. What is going on here? Oh, but, no. But it was oddly unnerving Well, and it because is, we don't, like, it's so out of practice for Lutheran congregations. And I'll tell you why it would kind of freak me out because I used to do that to my pastor um, because we do have few Bibles. And while I didn't bring one, I would frequently, like they'd say something and I would grab the Bible and like open it up because I was that person who would be like... The Bible nerd. Yeah, I would be like... That's not how I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and I would like open it up. And then, of course, I would be that congregant who, through the shaking of the hand as you're yeah. going out, would go, so actually. <laughs> so, so I'm not going to lie. It was very unnerving. And, and I just simply because it was happening. I mean, the person didn't, didn't shoot dirty looks. Didn't, and they were like, on the way out, they're like, that was a great sermon. Thank you so much. So I was like, oh, awesome. Glad you enjoyed it. But Back to the original point of that, that led us down that rabbit hole, rabbit hole one for the day. Um, Luther, count them. Luther, yeah, maybe we don't. There's one. We should. You should go back and 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 when we and we when we um, when we broadcast this, when we put it out there, you should go back and like edit it with a ding. And, and you can hole. count and the think, dings. Does this count as rabbit hole number two? You can count the ding. You can count the dings from the ding ding, uh, which is me going down rabbit holes. So. Um, the point I was getting to in what turned out to be a not direct fashion um, is it's why it's really important to maybe kind of like read beyond, like before and after the text because I would guess that many, many, many people, the overwhelming majority of people don't realize that after this text, because of this text, that, it, oh, we got to kill Jesus. Like, like of all the things, we got to... Like, we're, we're immediately, and this is, this is going to throw you off a little bit um, this coming week, because we're, we're now into the actual trial narratives um, at yeah. this point. Yeah, um, hold, hold that thought for one second. Okay. So, so, like, so, like, we go from this Lazarus text, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, wow, he raised Lazarus from the dead, and we're like, oh, man, this is awesome. Like, nope, got to kill him. And, and, oh, we got to take out Lazarus, too. What? Poor guy who just... Yeah, right. What did he do? <laughs> Lazarus is sick. Lazarus dies. Jesus brings him back. Like, yes. Number one that rule, is awesome. destroy all evidence. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we, he's got to go. Yeah. So, so, so Pastor Rebecca was saying, you know, it, this text now throws us into... 
it, it, well, it, it throws us into um, the, the trial narratives of um, basically how uh, we go from this to it's almost immediately into the f foot washing story. Right. Um, there's not a whole lot of anything in between. So re refresh my memory. Was it we that had a, had a coronary over that or was it just me? Because I know I did. You had a bigger coronary over it than I yeah. did. Yeah. Last week I talked about my blood pressure being low when I took my blood pressure. Uh -huh. Well, last week when we were looking beyond this week's text and going, wait a minute. So next week the text takes us right to Jerusalem, right to Holy Week. We can't talk about Holy Week yet. We're not there. You got we got we got five more weeks of Lent. I mean, yeah, yeah we're we're kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. We can't we can't do this yet. So we kind of talked each other off the ledge. Or, well, we, we, maybe we talked me off the ledge <laughs> is maybe a better. Well, so again, it goes back to one of my pet peeves. One of my pet peeves is that we bastardize Holy Week because we're afraid that people won't come to church on Thursday and Friday to hear the whole story. So we, we don't do Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphal entry. We just take Palm Sunday and do, Passion, and do Holy Week on Palm Sunday instead of doing Palm Sunday on Palm Sunday because like... It's Palm Sunday, and then doing, um, it, and it never made sense to me that you know we, we buy palms and we wait palms coming in, and then we read the text. It's not Jesus coming in, right? Which is it's like it's like here's frequently. your Palm Sunday part. Boom! Now we move on, right? And and the rest of the service has nothing to do with Palm right. Sunday, right? So one of the things that I'm very adamant about and always have been is that no Palm Sunday is Palm Sunday, and we'll celebrate Palm Sunday. And hey, congregation, if you want to hear this part between that and Easter, come Thursday and come Friday. Right. But we're like, oh, people might not do that. So anyway, so this text, next, so, so we have Lazarus this so the week. next five weeks. Next five weeks, we're in Holy Week. The right. texts are actually... And we're, we're still not exactly following it because we are skipping the foot washing text because yes. we want that for actual Monday, Thursday. We're yes. like, we actually kind of want that text for then. Uh, and then we will be doing a... Um, musical, dramatic interpretation kind of thing for um, uh, Good Friday. If you're within a 50-mile radius of Palm City, you should come to the Good Friday piece. It's fantastic. If you're within a 100-mile radius, you should consider it. If you need airfare, well, check airfare now because it might be worth it. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's fantastic. Well, this is kind of a... Um, uh, how should I put it, a, a compromise between the full-fledged kind of drama thing that I normally do and just doing like the monologues that we've done the past couple of years because of COVID. We're building. But, yeah, we're building. We're but, building. But for original songs written by, um, well, I, I wrote the lyrics and then Brittany did her magic with the music, which honestly is the hard part, um, you know. And I'll be here. <laughs> hey, you're Judas, man. Yeah. I know you love, love playing Judas. But anyway, okay. It's because I can't So that's, our, that's yeah. kind of our plug for what we're doing for the rest of Lent and Holy Week and, and things like that, so that if you're following along with us, hopefully this kind of helps make a little sense of what we're doing, because the, the texts are going to basically be the Good Friday story for the next five weeks just broken down and what we decided with that is that it's because because we do like take that good friday text and put it all into one thing we don't ever really get a chance to preach on kind of all the different parts of it we don't dissect it we, we don't dissect it the way we're going to have a chance to do this lent so it'll um, be interesting 
Yeah, so we're going to actually like go through the different different steps of Peter's betrayal, Judas's betrayal, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, the trial itself, the crucifixion, blah, blah, blah. So you're going to get the story over the next five weeks. But we still want you to come to Good Friday because that is just going to be a very moving experience. Um, th this is more of that we're di dissecting the story. That's going to be the powerful emotional piece of it on actual Good Friday where we kind of take all those pieces and put them together. Right. Um, but our text for today, or, or for last week, this last weekend, was Lazarus, which is sort of that impetus that moves us into our kind of Holy Week sort of narrative. Of, There's of a lot. The final, oh. Sort of the final straw now in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The, the final straw is him coming in and upending the money changer tables in the temple. It, it's, that's, that's the impetus, is he comes in and he basically, he attacks the temple. Well, as we've talked about before, in John's gospel, that happened. happens in, in chapter two, so, Already you know, happened, been there, done that. Yeah, already been there, done that. Uh, in, in John's gospel, it's the resurrection of the dead that, that does it, that for that, that pushes them and part of it I think is it's the fear of if this man's going around raising people from the dead he is going to start getting followers and we have some problems with um, how Rome might respond to that nobody's going to mess up me killing somebody right <laughs> I, I mean that. yeah uh, and 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 it's you know there there's going to come that 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 point of of where they start asking the question well <laughs> it's better for one man to die than for a whole nation to perish is basically because they know what Rome does and they're going to find out what Rome does in 70 A.D. when they do rebel uh, and um, we're still living with the repercussions of that 2,000 years later. Um, there is so, so, so much in this text. I mean, we tie back to the Mary, story of Mary and Martha. Right. And it's, you know, of course, Lazarus' death. There's the whole idea of Jesus saying, hold on, I'm not ready to go there yet, just wait. Which in and of itself is, you know, you kind of sit there and you go, Jesus knows Lazarus is dying and he knows he can do something about it. And yet he sits there. And I know his disciples had to have just been going, what are you doing? You can go help him. And you're sitting here and you're not moving and you're not doing anything. Yeah, what gives, man? Why? Yeah. You know, that whole, oh, okay, Lazarus is dying. All right. Well, let's give it a few more days. <laughs> and, what? <laughs> yeah. And. And you can kind of hear the accusatory note with, you know, Mary and Martha when they're like, if you'd have been here, yeah, if I've, you'd have shown up, he yep. wouldn't have died. Because, yep. of course, they, why would you have expectation that he's going to be raised from the dead? You don't have that expectation. Um, I don't care how good your faith is, um, how much you know this man, how much you love this man. Um, four days dead is dead dead. Yep. Smelly dead. Um, which... You know, I, I think it's Mary um, points out. <laughs> She's like, it's, it's, it's the, the, the tomb is starting to smell. 
Um, this is he's he's been dead a while, and he's been dead for four days. Now it stinks. Yep, yep. Because three days is kind of the real cutoff. You Apparently, know, after, after that third day, you know, Apparently. They're, they're dead, that's, dead. That's when the stink starts. Yep, that's when the yeah. We're not going to get into all that, but anyway. And well, and then there's you know the whole idea that Jesus wept, and I also right. wonder how many people. Like the 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 line Jesus wept is pretty popular, right? I mean, I think that's a that's most Christians are aware of that line. I wonder if I wonder how many know that's in relation to this Lazarus text. Well, there are two. He says that the the Jesus wept comes in twice. It's in John's gospel here, and right. I think it's Luke's gospel. Um, he weeps over Jerusalem. Yeah. So. But I wonder. I wonder if people link it to to the Lazarus story. Yeah. Ever? yeah. I don't. I bet not. I don't know. I bet not. Um, Maybe we could do a poll. Yeah. <laughs> Where does Jesus weep in the Bible? Um, did you know? Did you know? Do you know? But I focused on emotions. Um. I'll be honest, I, got, I really got thrown for a loop this week when I started digging into the text. And one of the commentaries um, talked about our, our hesitance, avoidance, reluctance, whatever you want to say, to talk about death. And then, oh, it's almost as though it issued a challenge. I'm like, wait a minute, you can't challenge me. We'll, we'll do that. Um, see, I can do it. Um, and, and, and basically the, the, the pushback from the commentary was, you know, we don't talk about death, and then when it comes time for funerals and people dying, we're a mess because we have never talked about resurrection. And we only talk about resurrection at funerals and Easter. And maybe, maybe if we talk about resurrection at other points through on, in the calendar, it'll make it easier for us theologically to kind of come to grips with. Now, again, the emotions of people dying, you're going to be sad. Like, yeah. you're going to miss people. And again, it's not to negate those, those real emotions of a loved one being gone and us not, ha not having, you know, not, not being able to spend any more earthly time with them. But... I also really think as Christians, well, here's what really fascinates me. Um, and maybe it's just my sense and maybe I'm wrong. It happens every now and then or quite frequently depending who you ask. Um, I am of the belief that we as Christians focus too much of our attention on the heavenly part of it. After I die, going to heaven, that part of it. But on the same token... We need uh, that hope. We need that hope, absolutely. But I also feel like, wow, we want to focus on the heavenly part. We just completely bypass the whole death, the resurrection part. Yeah. Like, like we don't want to talk about how we're supposed to live. We're less willing and comfortable. We can talk about that in a minute. We're less willing and comfortable to talk about how we live out our faith on earth like how we bring God's kingdom here. We're really concerned about being part of God's kingdom, air quotes, after we die, meaning going to heaven. 
But then we skip, like, we don't talk about that resurrection piece. And I don't know if it's, if it's a lack of belief in the resurrection from folks, or it's a muddy waters for what it looks like, or... Yeah, and I don't think know. The, the, the muddiness... Am, am I wrong? Do I, I mean, do you get that sense too, or is it just me? Well, let's face it. Re resurrection is one of those things that... Well, here's the thing that we, we bypass. We, we bypass resurrection completely because we immediately go to their home in heaven. Yes. So we don't talk about what it means to be raised from the dead. Correct. And what that looks like. And, and to be fair, I don't know that we fully understand or know what that looks like. I mean, we have... Agreed. Um, the, we, we've got Paul who talks about how we're going to be transformed and all this other stuff. But Paul also talks about how we're asleep for however long first. Asleep in Christ. Um, I had a, one of my, my seminary professors, uh, Dr. Kester used to always kind of help us to, to locate, so to speak, spatially, et cetera, whatever you want to talk about. When we talk about, well, where do people, quote, go when they die? Ooh. Do they go to the heaven or whatever? And his simple response always was, they go to be with Christ. Now, what form that is, what, it, you know... Oh, hold on, pause. Yes. So, so Dr. Kester's response was when people die, where do they go? The answer, they go to Christ. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and he's, he's less, he was always very less concerned about the metaphysics of everything and, and you know, all that kind of spe speculation and just, you know, they go to be with Christ. Now, where are we going to pinpoint that? Ooh, yeah. You know, where, where, where are you going to get your map out and go, okay, where, where is that? <laughs> All right, Magellan. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of, you know, and, and when is that and all of that kind of stuff. So it's, it's this very kind of numinous, numinous sort of thing where, um, and, and that, of course, when we, we talk about, uh, the resurrection, there's this, uh, you know, even Jesus says on the last day. And, you know, that there is a, quote, judgment day, resurrection day kind of thing where, where the, the dead are raised, blah, 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 and then we continue on. And if you're following um, sort of the imagery that is utilized in Revelation... Um, Which, guess, of course, you are. Uh, you know... Because, hey, I think I've done pretty good. I haven't talked about Revelation for a while. Yeah, it's, it's, I, it's, it's been a week. But we're talking, about, we're, talking about, we're talking about the afterlife. And let's face it, you know, the, the last couple chapters of Revelation are really, that's, I mean, that's good funeral stuff. You know, dry away your tears, no more tears, no more crying, well, no more I, death. Um, and, I, and I, I like the, the, really, the really simplistic... So, so you are a, I was going to say with Revelation, but it's every book in the Bible, let's just be honest. <laughs> you are a dig into the, the, the down and dirty details, break things apart, right? Um, for me, I love you know, the, the simple explanation for Revelation with no S, 
Not revelations, just one revelation. Again, my revelation of Jesus. My, my goal in ministry, if nothing else, is to just get people to eliminate that S at the end of that they put in a book that that's, that S is not there. Um, anyway, so the simplicity of revelation is essentially things return to the way they were started. Would you agree to that? Like, I, I, yeah, I mean. Yes and no. Um, I don't know that it's a return because I think th that it is something new. I, I don't think it's a return back. I think it's a moving forward with, with the acknowledgement that we, we lived lives, that, that we, yes. we, we went through all of this where the Garden of Eden was a very innocent kind of place and, and the, the reconciliation with God... Um, when we are, are, are reconciled to God, I mean, let's face it, every relationship progresses. Yes. And we know that even when, you know, so let's look at human relationships, even though it's going to be a poor example because they're flawed. But people hurt you, do things, but you forgive and you move forward and you still love them, and, and whatever, but there have been changes. There have been things that have happened. There are things that go, you know. Um, the question kind of becomes, what of all of that remains and what doesn't? Um, I, I think I've talked about this before, where I had, I spent nine months, like, really struggling with something one of my systematic, the, um, systematic theology professors said one time. And what he said was, well, when you get, quote, a new heart, heart being kind of the seat of the soul sort of thing, yeah, um, not necessarily the, the organ, um, it, it's, it's basically, it's a mind wipe kind right. of thing, where right. you're, you're not necessarily going to remember, blah, blah, blah. And, and there was such pushback, not, not only from myself, but from everybody else going, wait a minute, but I need... My, my memories, I need my pain, I need, that's, who ha, that's what has made me who I am. I have grown through that, that's how I have become who I am, and if you take that away, I'm not that person anymore. And what was the response? Um, I don't know that anybody, like, took him on directly in class with that, um, necessarily, this is kind of more of the students afterwards all railing on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the conclusion I came to, because I struggled with that too, because I'm like, yep. yeah, I mean, how on earth am I not going to, you know, will I not know my relationships? Will I not know, you know, these kinds of things. Um, and I absolutely think we do still retain a lot of that, but. But not jaded. But. Is that the, is that his gist kind of? If you think about the fact that we, t you know, those of us who were in seminary talking about that, most of us have, for the most part, lived rather privileged, decent lives that have not been horrible lives. If you're going to look at somebody who has been an abused slave, whatever, for the majority of their life, how much of that are they going to want to remember? Right. I mean, how much of that are they going to want to be like, oh, yeah, that's what, 
that's what my life was. Um, and so what kind of good news is it to hear, you know what, you're not going to remember any of that. That's okay. Right. Don't worry about that. So it really becomes, for me, so this was kind of the, the, the thing that I said. I was like, oh, is this what we talk about when we talk about clinging to worldly things? Ah. Uh, yeah, so we often think of that worldly things as just possessions, right? Right. But. But are, are worldly things possibly also our experiences? Yep. Our loves, our relationships now, and, and that gets muddy because relationship is what kind of all this is about. Yep. <laughs> so, I, like I said, I don't have a um, hard and fast, this is how it is. This is more of a just to get you thinking. Yeah. Um, don't accept, like I said, I spent nine months like wrestling with that whole concept um, of, wait a minute, no, that's not fair, that's not right. Um, and that's, there's no way that that can, can be that. And I don't know that I'm even still 100% on the, uh, you know, over the fence on that one going, yep, that's what it's going to be like. Well, and the, and the point is, we can continue to struggle with that because yeah. we don't fully know. There was, I, and, and I know I've mentioned this show in the past, and I'm going to probably give a spoiler, and I'm sorry if you haven't watched it yet, um, and I know you haven't, Pastor Chad. Um, there's a... Um, uh, show on Netflix called Midnight Mass, and it really it it it's it's done in a, a horror genre, but there's some really deep theological stuff actually kind of going on there. And at the at the end, there's this one woman, and they're and and this these two people, and they're talking about what happens when you die, and what they think, and and one of them has become an atheist, uh, and but the other one, she's still a, a very faithful Catholic. But she starts, there's, there's, there's this scene, and I'm not going to give away why she's going into this, but what she says is we forget. She goes, and I don't know how we forget during this life. We forget it's not about us. It's not about me individually. And I don't know how we forget that. What and if we could, though? Imagine how different the world would be if we looked at the world through a lens that it wasn't about us. Right. Right? I, I, I want to, I, I want to, go ahead. So I'm sorry, finish that thought and then I have. Yeah. But just that for me, when I was listening to, I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, this is, this is some deep stuff that's, that's getting to the heart of the issue of, of that, that loss of individuality kind of idea, which, let's face it, as Americans, <laughs> Christian Americans, individuality is so ingrained So in revelation us. is anti-American. Oh, well, it's d definitely anti... N I'm going to say it's anti-nationalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, That's to be fair, the nations do come before the throne of God. They do come for the treaty. They come for healing, et cetera, et cetera. So there's some semblance, some notion of, quote, national identity of some sort. I'm not real sure right. what that even means or looks like. And you got to remember, it's also imagery. So I don't know how, right. how um, far you want to push that. Yeah. But yes, it's definitely, it's definitely anti um, 
uh, worldly government empire kind of things. Right. De oh, definitely. Yeah. It pushes so, back against that. Yep. So what I want to pause and and maybe and I'm probably going to take us down another rabbit hole, but that's okay. So you said systematic theology professor. I did. So the question that people may have is. What's what? systematic theology? Right, right. So, so again, I'm, I, I'm really, really trying overall in life to be more clear. And some, so my wife does this to me. I, honey, if you're listening to this, I love you so much. But she often talks in acronyms. She's much better right. at it. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what, I don't know what that is. Right. And we use terms and you know, the, the most famous uh, Emmanuel Lutheran Church example at least since I've been here, we do okay. a, thanks, a Thanksgiving pie social on Thanksgiving Eve. And every Sunday, I would stand up here and announce if you're, you know, this was a few years ago, um, just bring your pies to the FDC at, between this time and this time. And people go, what's the FDC? And nobody says, what's the FDC? That's the problem. No, no, no. We assume. And we had one person <laughs> that showed up and couldn't find us calls on myself and says, I'm here with my pie. Where are you? And I'm like, well, I'm in the FDC. We're in the yeah. FDC. <laughs> and he goes, what's the FDC? I'm like, the Faith Development Center, the, the building at the back of campus? He's like, oh, I thought FDC stood for front door of the church. <laughs> Which is yeah, a perfectly yeah. legit. Perfectly okay, legit. So, right. So in, in, in an in a effort to be more clear yes. and not make assumptions that people know, so systematic theology is a discipline of Christian theology that formulates an orderly, rational, and coherent account of the doctrines of the Christian faith. Did you Google that, or did you just... I Googled it. I cheated. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I was about to throw up. Like, I seriously was questioning whether or not you, like, had a Merriam-Webster definition memorized in, in my your... head. I was like, oh my God, like that's like next level Bible nerd. And I think that just makes me nauseous. <laughs> thank God that you, thank, thank you, oh. Google. Yes, no. I went, hmm, I can give my definition <laughs> or I can look up the actual definition that will probably be more coherent. Okay, I'm sorry. Can you, re I got sidetracked when <laughs> you, can you repeat that, please? Yes. <laughs> Reread that, please. Christian theology that formulates an orderly, rational, and coherent account of the doctrines of the Christian faith. So You want to unpack that? Well, it addresses <laughs> issues about what the Bible teaches about certain topics, yes. or what's true about God and his universe, yes. um, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the interesting thing is, depending on which professor and which discipline you are part of, Depends on what you get taught in a systematic theology class. Yes. So even at Luther Seminary, it was very interesting to take it from a very, very confessional Lutheran versus taking it from the Methodist, mm. who was also an instructor uh, of systematic theology. And you had two very, very different classes if you if you went to different instructors. You learned very, very different things. So it was, it was intriguing to me, um, especially after the fact. My, um, my best friend uh, in seminary, Tracy, took a 
completely different instructor for systematic theology. Now, 13 years post-ordination, et cetera, you know, 14 years post-graduation, we'll be sitting there talking about something that I learned in my systematic theology class, and she's like, where'd you get that? Where, where did you learn that? And I said, well, I learned that in Paulson's class, you know, for, for in, in our, our first semester. You have three semester, or three um, uh, years of systematic theology. You have, um, you, you take a, uh, your first year, you have a class about basically creator God. Your second year is about Jesus. Your third year is about Holy Spirit. And so we, we'll talk about something, and, and, and I'll be like, well, I, 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 learned, I learned that, that in the, you know, our second year Jesus the Savior class, how, did you not get that? And she was like, um, no, we talked about this. Right. <laughs> she goes, I think what you learned maybe was more useful. <laughs> There's, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's, so if you're ever wondering why there's sometimes a, an interesting range of theologies among pastors within the same denomination, it's because we a lot of times have instructors that teach us very different things depending on who the instructor is. Um, so we get, we get different nuggets. We get different pieces of, of, of wisdom, which is why collegiality is also important because we still learn from each other because yeah. we've all been taught by different people as well. So I think, I think one of the, so speaking of systematic, we are way off, but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. It's all good. Um, Talk so, about afterlife, Lazarus, resurrection. Yeah. So one of the things that I found most helpful or maybe most interesting uh, is this we, third or fourth rabbit hole, by the way? I don't think. Okay. <laughs> um, we went down this this artsy artsy trek, which I think you would appreciate. Maybe maybe they did it at Luther too. Um, systematic theology, talking about salvation theology, and the professor did a slideshow of paintings depicting resurrection or salvation, or Jesus as, sort of Jesus as Savior. And there were maybe 15 different paintings. Mm -hmm. And they were really broad range. I think somewhere in a file, on a memory stick or something somewhere, I have this, this slideshow. And then we, without discussion, would, she went through one by one, and we would check yes or no, whether or not for us that was a picture of salvation. And then afterwards, we would go back through and we'd have a discussion about why we viewed this as salvation, why we didn't view this as salvation. You know. We did not get to do that in seminary when I was in seminary. It was, but it I was, went through about five years before you did, and I think they weren't quite into the, the and, and visual again, arts. My, my systematic theology professor was very... Um, Dr. Kristen Largen Johnson was very... Um, very she would often bring in those those other elements to have us, help us. Again, it was less telling us what it was than helping us frame and understand why. And the answer was, for each of those, say, 15 or 20 slides, the answer is yes, depending who it is. So there were several pictures, and I remember one of them, I remember a few of them very vividly, but one of them was this, this angry-looking Jesus 
and like the background was nothing but destruction. And it very much looked like a scene from Rambo where there's all this destruction and I think I was the only one who checked yes, that was salvation for me and everyone else was no. Um, which, <laughs> yay. <'Cause, laughs> sorry, but, you but you were looking at it from the standpoint of Jesus saving you from all the destruction. Well, not only that, but the, way, the thing that also stuck out to me was that Jesus will do anything for our salvation. Jesus will go through hell. Literally. Literally for our salvation. And for me, that's what that painting depicted. I don't know that I won anybody else over, which really wasn't the point. But when I looked at it, I'm like, man. Now, I absolutely understood why people were like, no, that's not, that doesn't picture salvation. Because for many, many of us, um, you know, when we picture salvation, you know, we picture a more calm... Believe it or not, you pro- and I probably would have been on the same page with, with that image, though, because yeah. I would have definitely seen that as um, a, a, you know, salvation from destruction. And, and, I, and I am not, I am no less privileged than anyone else in my class. I don't know if, how much more privileged I was. But generally speaking, we were, like you mentioned, we were a privileged group overall. Now, we did have one classmate who was one of the lost boys of the Sudan. Um, oh, yeah, well, we, I had some classmates that were but, from Liberia and stuff. Right, that, but generally speaking, yeah. you know, we were a, I mean, it's the ELCA. We're the whitest denomination in America. We were the whitest seminary, you know. So, I mean, we were very, we, we, there wasn't a whole lot of diversity within our seminary class. And... So I would, I would wonder if, if you are a Palestinian Christian or a Ukrainian Christian right now and you're looking at something like that, do you, are you more likely to view that as salvation because you could identify with that idea of destruction in a different way than what you know, suburban Americans can? Yeah. Well, and... <clears throat> Let's face it, a lot of times, too, when we, when we look at destruction and, and, and things like that, we immediately make an association with, quote, Armageddon, whatever. Yeah. And I think there's a pushback in um, a lot of Lutheran circles, for at least, against the, the, the notion of... Um, basically God wanting to destroy the world. Because there, there, there are a lot of denominations that that's, they think that's the plan. God wants to destroy the world. That, I mean, that, we're doing that, a pretty good job ourselves. Well, and, and that becomes the point. It's a question of, well, wait a minute. Is that God, what God wants or is that what we're doing? And, and, but, I sh- but I think there has become a, a huge pushback then against seeing any kind of destruction and saying, well, you know, that's not part of God's plan. That's, you know, that's not where, where God's going with this. That, that, for me, again, that goes back to a conversation that we've had maybe every week, if not very frequently. What is the overarc of what you see from God? Right. And it's really hard to say that the overall arc of Scripture is that God wants to destroy things. Right. I mean, that's really hard to... I, you can cherry pick it, right? Oh, yeah. Like, you can, you can find a couple places, but it's really hard to say that God is about destruction. And ultimately, God wants destruction. 
Um, and, and, and actually, it gets real, real interesting if you start pointing things out like um, God destroys those who destroy the earth um, in Revelation 11. But, you know, anyway. <laughs> Back to Revelation. Yeah. Well, you She's know, trying to make we, up for lost we time. We went full bore there when we decided to talk about resurrection because, you know, that's, that's, that's a big part of that book. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of that in there. Um, and how then it, it, it ties to our story. So the interesting thing about our story today, though, um, or the, the, the story from this weekend of Lazarus being raised from the dead is that that was not, he was not being raised to be immortal. That was not the resurrection. Ah, yes. That was, that was not, you know, Lazarus then is still wandering the earth somewhere because, or, you know, that'd be kind of a fun movie plot, but. <laughs> Dude, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> I think I have my next script. Uh, <laughs> Lazarus still wandering the earth because Jesus raised him from the dead and now he's immortal and, and all this sort of stuff, you know. Um, that could be fun. But <laughs> It's kind of like, in, was, it, was it Encino Man with Paul, I think it was Paulie Shore, Shore and where Brendan he was Frazier. a caveman and, yeah. and transported or whatever and came to this, yeah, sort of yeah. same concept, but yeah, more, yeah. some um, biblical piece. I, oh, Wow. So, <laughs> sorry, did I just I just open up another? That's hole your rabbit mind. hole. That's not mine. But <laughs> I'll gladly go down it because imagine. So you have Lazarus, who literally um, was dead. Was dead, and and literally knew Jesus, like walked with Jesus. Right. You know, and he walked with me, and he talked with me. Blah blah. Um, he pulled me out of the stinky, smelly tomb. Right, like like literally knew Jesus. So you would you would suppose knew the heart of Jesus, knew the intention of Jesus, knew you know Jesus's ministry intricately. You know, again, assuming. So I was at a retreat this weekend um, for the Synod's uh, Just Love Committee, Just Love Team, which is essentially our you know sort of racial justice focused team trying to do some racial justice work, and. We had time around the campfire um, towards the end, which was really those conversations that happen. You often get more out of those and get more done in those conversations than we do in like a more formal meeting setting. So you suppose that Lazarus had those, you know, literal, I mean, actual campfire conversations with Jesus. Um, because they were because they were close. They was Lazarus was not the random guy by the pool. That Jesus walked by and said, "Hey, get up, take your, you're good, go." Yeah, walk. you're healed, go. I mean, I mean, knew Lazarus. So you know, go. you suppose like the disciples had conversation with Lazarus. So now he comes, you know. So now Lazarus is you know still walking the earth in you know 2022, looking around, going, "What the hell happened here?" Yeah, where did where did the world go so wrong? Yes. <laughs> um. Man, I hope it, he's out there. What if Lazarus is out there? Oh. <laughs> I, 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 had to, I had to put that thought in your head, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, thanks. See, now that will make me wonder for nine months, not something from a seminary class in the <laughs> that, book of Revelation that's going to make me ponder and study Revelation for nine months. What happened to Lazarus? Yeah. Um, my what guess, if, my, what if Lazarus were still here now? My guess is they probably... 
Um, actually, if since they got Jesus, my guess is they probably got Lazarus too. Um, and he is no longer among them. Stop ruining it for me. I got nine months to think about this. I'm just guessing because we don't know. I mean, we never find out. Um, the, the, but the plot was to kill both of them, so yep. who knows what happened to him. Um, <clears throat> but my point being is our, our assumption is Lazarus eventually died. Yeah. Which means that particular type and form of resurrection was not the, quote, eternal life of resurrection. That was a... A, a, which raises then some some kind of kind of questions, <laughs> you know. Yep. It's like okay, if that's not the model for resurrections, since that's not going to be, again, what what does it look like? What is it? And and we, I think, are still going to struggle with that because we're not going to know. Um, and I don't think God really wants us to know. I mean, I mean, I think that's the. That is not one of the things that keeps me up at night wondering. No, it, it isn't. It's just not. But, but it is something that I think people ponder. And when you yeah. are in the midst, but at the same time, when we are in the midst of grief counseling, so to speak, when we're doing a funeral, you get a lot of interesting theology that comes out. And nine times out of ten, and actually it's probably more like nine and a half times, very rarely am I going to find somebody who says, well, I know I'll see them at the resurrection. Usually what they say is they're in heaven. And that, that becomes, I think, the, the common understanding. Is, and I'm not saying it's wrong. Because, you know, our assumption is that's where Jesus is, where's Je- you know, and if you're going to be with Jesus, that's, that's kind of the, um, where, where you're going to be residing. But then, again, that, that, well, then what does resurrection mean? What does that look like? How, how, do, we, how do we even fathom living into that? Um, and it it does. It becomes, it, it becomes something I think we just don't really talk about or think about because it's beyond, our, it's beyond our ability to comprehend it fully. So if... It, it's easier to, to kind of do the whole spiritual up in the sky thing. Yeah. So if um, Revelation, yep, I said it. If Revelation, if afterlife, if... Part of it is being stripped of um, our earthly things. And some of those earthly things, you know, the things that make us, the, the sort of, the less individual things, and it le- becomes less about ourselves. And that's a really crappy paraphrase for what we talked about earlier. But Right, right, yeah. That it's, it's not about me. It's not about me. Thank you. That's the, simpli- that's the yeah. simple way to put it, and it's, I was struggling. How, how did I forget this? All of this is so not about if, me. So if that is where we're headed ultimately after death, right? And that is the kingdom of God, right? Right. And, 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 and I'm going to go back and say... So when you said it's a go back to, in that respect, that is true. Yes. Because that was the original right. Adam and Eve, it was a we kind of thing, and it was yes. once, once yes. they turned in on themselves that it became individual and throwing each other under the bus and yeah. all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's what yeah. I meant. And, yeah. I, and yeah, thanks for clarifying. Yes. So if, if that is where, we're, is where we ultimately are to end up, right, why don't we work for that? <laughs> 
like today? Like, why don't we try and be more of that? Again, for me, for me, the kingdom of God is not some distant place that, you know, when we die, we go to. It's, it's here, it's God now, and it's not yet. And our, our goal, our job, our, our discipleship, you know, as followers of Christ is to really work to bring that about now. Like, well, how often does, does, does Jesus say things like the kingdom of God is here? Right. Um, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom, of, you know, is among you. Um, it, he, he says that quite frequently. Now, that, I, I also recognize that I am an only child. So the whole concept of it not being about me um, is a struggle. I, I, I will. I well, will and I look at it I from a different that. perspective. So some of my favorite stories in the Bible are the ones that have to do with the, the sibling rivalry kind of stuff. Um, and, and looking at, and I look at it from, from the family dynamics yep. of, of what, you know, between, whether it's Cain and Abel or Joseph and his brothers or Jacob and Esau. <laughs> All Which is why we both struggle when we say, oh, the ch- church family, church, I'm like, uh, so we know, like. Families dysfunctional. Families are dysfunctional. And biblical families? Really dysfunctional. Really dysfunctional. Thank you. <laughs> so maybe You're, the church's family isn't the best, the the best, best metaphor. The uh, best uh, metaphor to be using. Yeah, maybe not. Um, and, and yet, Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters, so. I, I mean, you know, yes. there's 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 good and bad there. There's yeah. there's the ideal of what we're 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 striving for, and then there's the reality of of how we mess it up. But now, for me, those 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 brother, you know, those sibling rivalry kind of stories. I I I actually wrote a paper in my Pentateuch class about, you know, the the, the kind of the sibling rivalry stuff from my own experience of how kids who are siblings how we do get pitted against one another by forces around us. Where left to our own devices, we maybe wouldn't have the animosity toward each other we sometimes do. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, and I recognize not all siblings have, have this kind of animosity towards each other. A lot of times it's, it's much more, you know, you're really close with your sister, you're really close with your brother and that kind of stuff. My brother and I had a contentious childhood growing up. And... In seminary was kind of how I worked through the fact that a lot of my bitterness towards my brother had nothing to do with my brother and had everything to do with the way people treated us, um, the expectations they put upon me in terms of you're going to be just like him. You have to understand my brother is Einstein-level genius, missed one question on his ACTs, was just super, super smart. Um, and I was the little sister who came along that everybody assumed was going to be exactly the same. And that created a lot of tension between my brother and me because right. I can't take it out on my teachers. I can't take that anger out on my parents. Who can I take it out on? Yep. I take it out on my brother. Yep. Because my brother was the person I could go smack (laughs) Um, and get away with it basically because um, and and to this day there's still kind of even though I know what the issue was growing up it's just there's still kind of that barrier between us so revelation that gets wiped away I know that will be a good thing 
Yeah. So, and, and something to look forward to. Have we talked about this text for more than five minutes? I don't think we have. The actual text? Yeah, the actual text. I don't think we have. I, I keep going back to Lazarus and dead, and we were talking about... We say Lazarus, Lazarus. Every, every couple of minutes just to make sure that we kind of talked about the text. <laughs> Um, I, 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 you didn't I, talk I, about the emotions of Jesus and stuff like that, yeah. but you cover a lot of that in your sermon. So the podcast is kind of to d- talk about what you don't talk about in the sermon. Yeah, and, and, and this text, there is a lot of other stuff yeah. um, to dig into. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the one thing about this text that has always, um, you know, you asked... You asked the question about, you know, how Jesus kind of, he weeps, but doesn't he know what he's going to do and blah, blah, blah. And that's just a reminder to me, though, that, yeah, of course Jesus knew because Jesus was like, I'm waiting on purpose because I know he's going to die. I'm going there then to raise him from the dead. That's, that's the whole reason he waits. Yeah. So he knows going in what he's going to do, and yet he weeps anyway yeah. because he sees the grief and he's able to enter into that grief. Well, I think, I think that was one of the pieces... In, in the text study, that, that was really, I struggled because, you know, again, translation issues. Right. So the words, the translated words were not like grief and sadness. They were actually anger and agitation. So it's like, you knew the situation. Why were you angry and agitated? Were you just mad that people didn't have faith again? Um, you know, yep. what, what, what emotions are tied there? Right. And we, you know, we kind of jumped to the, well... He must have been sad. Well, no, it was, it was, there, there was, the question I think was, was the anger and agitation that he had at the people not having the faith, you know, having faith knowing that, well, now he's here. Of course it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, You know, how many times have I talked about, you know, the resurrection and the life and all that kind of stuff? Because, you know, when he asked Mary and Mary's like, well, yeah, I believe in the resurrection on the last day. Yeah. And, but that doesn't help me right now. (laughs) Right. I mean, now. But to be fair, that's how we all feel about it, isn't it? When we we go to a funeral, it's, um, this doesn't really help me right now because right right now is when I miss them and I want them here with me at this moment. And I don't care what the future, you know, promises. Um, I miss them. And we are not a patient society. No, well, but grief ge- is real. I mean, right, let's face right. it. That's... Grief is real, but I mean, in general, we're not a patient society. No. And then you take in something like grief, and I'm not saying you should be patient, because I totally get it, but like in general, we're not patient, and then you throw something that's that emotional, perhaps Well, traumatic. the flip side of that is we're also not patient with people who grieve for a long time. Yeah. How often do we say, okay, why are you not over this yet? I could probably retire if I had a dollar for every conversation I've had that I've used the phrase, everyone grieves differently. Yes. Now. And there's no timetable. I say that a lot. Correct. Correct. There's no timetable. However, if you are stuck in certain phases where you're debilitated by grief, counseling. Yes. Like counseling. There does come a point where it's like you need to function again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Grief is real grief, and everybody deals with it. Well, they didn't even cry. Okay. Well, all they did was cry. Okay. They're angry. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, okay. All, it's all part of it. It's yeah. all a part of it. Now, um, if you're stuck in that and paralyzed by that for, you know, 
extended length of period of time. Right. Yeah. And, and it's affecting your quality of life and your ability to function, then yeah. yeah. And, and then the reality is that, um, you know, since we're talking about this, um, you don't ever get over it. No. Uh, you no. Know, losses like that, you never get over. Um, right. One of my best friends died, oh goodness, I think it's been four years ago now. Five years ago, four or five years ago, um, and it hits you sometimes when you just least expect it. Like yep. my day to day is fine, but every once in a while, there's that thing that that triggers, and I'll just break down crying because I miss my friend, and you know we were very close. We talked daily. Um, she died at the age of 46, was just too young, um, and I miss her. And you miss that presence. And yeah. even though this, this was a, she was a friend from seminary who, I mean, her faith, she actually did not become a pastor. She went for an MA instead to teach history. What's an MA? Um, a Master of Arts. <laughs> and she, but her faith, oh my goodness, this, this, this girl had a faith like you, like nobody's business. She just was like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not doing the pastor thing. Um, but, oh my gosh, um, just, just such a faith. And we did, we talked constantly, even though she was living in Minneapolis, um, I was living in Nebraska, and then I lived in uh, Florida, and she came to visit me about 10 or, it was, well, it was about 11 months before she died. Um, came to visit me 11 months um, before, she, before she died. And it's kind of one of those, those things where um, I don't have a lot of my friends that do come visit, so, you know, it's kind of one of those. When, it's when, really when, weird. Same. I know. We live in Florida. We're like 10 we minutes. in Florida. What the heck? All We're these like people in Minnesota the and beach. Nebraska. Why are you not coming to Florida where it's nice and warm during the winter? It's like I thought I was going to be like constantly hosting friends. Yeah. Um, has not turned out that way. But <laughs> I don't get it. Um, but it's, it's, it's a daily thing where, you know, things, things still, years later, are going to trigger that. And I, I suspect um, until the day I die, I will miss her presence. Yeah. And I will miss um, her being in my life. Now, as you get further and further away from it, I think it gets easier to deal with, cope with, et cetera. It's not a constant. Right. Um, but I think there will always be those triggers. Yep. There will always be something that will cause you to well up a little bit, that sure. will cause you to, you know, feel that deep grief and sorrow that that person is gone. And um, it's... And, and that probably was the, the death that has affected me the most because I still have both my parents. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know when that happens, that's going to be rough. Um, but, you know, she was. She was my best friend that I, I talked to daily, and, and it's, and it's going to be hard, you know, and it continues to be hard. Um, and I know there are a lot of people out there listening that have gone through that kind of painful um, grief and, and death. And it is, and you and, you... and hey, resurrection's coming isn't helpful in the moment. 
It is and it isn't. Right, but I mean, it's, it's not the quick fix. Oh, oh, you're right. Okay, great. Right, it's not going to make you go, oh, okay, never mind. Right. And, and I remember part of what Paul says in Romans is, or in, um, I'm sorry, I think it's First Thessalonians, where he says it's not that we don't grieve, it's that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. You still grieve. Right. But we do have hope. And that hope is kind of what we cling to in those moments that kind of helps get us through it. Yeah. Um, that that helps, helps move us forward, um, constantly moving us forward to that future that God has for us, that God envisions for us, where it becomes that, that way in which we live together where it is not about me. Not right. about, that's the theme. Not a, it was not the theme of the sermon. Not no. about me. No. But that's, I, I think that's just a, a solid overall Christian theme. Not about me. Oh. It's a collective. It's us. It's all of us together. It's the concept that if one of us is hurting, we are all hurting. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the text is next week. Uh, the text next week is Peter's denial. Ah, yes. So that'll be fun. Because <laughs> remember, we're we're I, I know. right into right into all the Holy Week yeah, stuff, I know we, even I know though we, it's not Holy Week yet. Yep. But we're going to get a break all of that apart. So um, join us for that in the coming weeks, GA Joy. <laughs> it'll be good because, like yeah, I said, it actually we will be good. We haven't we haven't had the opportunity to really break down each part. So as much as we're kind of like, oh man, that's not really how we wanted to do this. Also, I think there will be benefit to it. Because let's face it, not everybody is going to come Good Friday. So. Correct. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you uh, again next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.